So I was at a traffic light the other night, about 11.30 at night, just wanted to get home, and I experienced one of my pet peeves. I wonder if any of you can relate. You ever come up to a light, and it's night, it's like there's nobody else on the road, but the light is red? And even worse, uh, it's a turn signal, turn lane, so you have the red light, you can't turn left on red, and so everything else is green for absolutely no one, and you're just waiting and, and uh, it seemed, I know it was probably perception, it seemed like all the other lights circulated about three times before it was my turn. And I mean, they're literally just green for air. <laughs> and I'm just waiting there. And, you know, there, there's a part of me, you know, the sinful nature saying, you know, no one will ever know. I'll just go through. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But I wanted to. I'll have to tell you because I hate waiting. And I think that we live in a time where we're probably uh, less amenable to waiting than maybe any other time in history because so much of our lives are instant. You think about how we get our entertainment or we watch TV. You don't have to wait on anything. I mean, you just look on streaming or you can, you can, you can record it and then you never have to watch a commercial. You just buzz through the commercials, right? Uh, if you want to listen to something on the radio, no, you don't do that. You stream it, you find it, you listen to podcasts, you don't wait on the hour or whatever. There was a time, boys and girls, where we had to wait on everything. Kids, when I was your age, I'll pull one of those out of my hat, right? Let me tell you something. You wanted to listen to a song, you had to put a cassette in the player and just wait on the fifth song on side B. You had to do that. Or if you wanted to just play the lottery, you could push fast forward and stop and see how you did or go back fast forward, rewind all these things and hope that the tape didn't break. If you wanted to know the weather tomorrow, you had to wait till six o'clock news and then you had to wait usually till about 618 until the weatherman would tell you what the weather was going to be tomorrow. Or you could call the time and temperature line. Remember that? If you wanted to watch cartoons, boys and girls, and it's like a Tuesday, sorry, because you have to wait until Saturday morning. That's the time where you can watch cartoons and only what's on. That, that's how it works. So I don't know that it was that awful, but I do know this. We don't like waiting. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about waiting. If you think about it, Advent, this season, as we near the celebration of the incarnation of Christ's birth, it's all about waiting. Well, we're going to look at a passage that speaks to that today as well. Would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1? Luke 1, we're going to mostly be beginning in verse 67. So it's such a long chapter, you might find it there. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Let me say good morning to those who are in the courts and also grateful for those who are watching Kingsland Online. We're grateful that we can gather together and open God's Word together today. We're continuing a series this December looking at the songs of Christmas in the gospel of Luke. There's all sorts of music in these first two chapters as we, pre we prepare for the coming king. And let me give you some backstory on the, uh, the featured song here of Zechariah. So Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a child for many years, we find out in the account. He's of the priestly line, and he had been chosen for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to bring the offering of incense into the holy place of the temple. He'd gone in, he sees an angel there by the altar of incense, and he says, your prayer has been heard, remember? And he shares with him what's going to take place. Uh, look back at Luke 1.20, and it says this, now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, what in the world is that about? Okay. Now, here's what happened. So Gabriel, the angel, gives him this message 
that his wife Elizabeth is going to bear a child. They're going to call his name John, and he's going to usher in the coming of the Messiah. It's big news, right? And Zechariah responds with unbelief. He, he just says, this can't be possible. And so because of that, the Lord disciplines him in a very specific way. He's going to be silent. He's going to be nonverbal. And then it says specifically that uh, it's going to be for nine months. Look at the phrase, fulfilled in their proper time. So this is really the theme, I think, of what we see here. Fulfilled in their proper time. It's talking about God's timing, that all these things are going to take place exactly when God says. And as you're waiting on these things to take place, you're going to have the discipline of waiting. In Zechariah's case, silence is going to be a part of his life for nine months because it says until these things take place. So he has a deadline on that, but he's waiting. And after nine months of silence, the day Zechariah has been waiting for us here, his son is born. They ask Elizabeth what the name of the child is going to be. Elizabeth rightly says, John, they're confused because in that tradition, the idea is you're going to to name the child for someone in the family, maybe Zechariah. And so presumably they need Zechariah's okay. They go to him. They, and, and he takes a tablet and he writes, his name is John. Now, when he makes that statement of faith, when he makes that proclamation, immediately his mouth is open. It says in verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And what happened next? He hasn't spoken in nine months. He began to speak praising God. The first thing he does is praise God. Imagine the relief he felt. Imagine the joy he's experiencing now as he begins to praise. He's experienced the essence of waiting on God. And in this song, he tells us something about waiting on God. He begins to sing primarily about the prophecies that are being fulfilled, that the nation of Israel has been promised. And he's speaking of of Messiah coming in light of, of the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament, but in so doing, he gives us a glimpse of waiting. Uh, verses 67 through, uh, through 80, you look on as I read. We'll do seven, through 16, uh, 79 is the song, and I feel badly just leaving the one verse, so we'll, we'll go all the way through. All right, Zechariah's prophecy. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then it says, the child grew up and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. He's speaking of John the Baptist there, right? So, What happens here, as John the Baptist is born, and Zechariah's mouth is open, he proclaims this praise, and he shares it out of an experience of having waited an excruciating amount of time on God to move. 
He'd been waiting for nine months to speak. He'd been waiting on, for nine months to, 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 uh, to experience the birth of his child. Really, he'd been waiting much longer than that because we see farther back, right? He, uh, the angel says, your prayers have been heard. So he and Elizabeth have been praying, longing for this child. It's a major ordeal at this time and place to be barren without children. And they've been longing for God. They've been waiting. They didn't know when that was going to come to fruition or whether it ever would. But even more than that, there is a prophetic nature there's a type here when we look at Zechariah and we look at the nation of Israel. Do you see? He is a priest. And in some ways, he represents all of Israel because they had been waiting all this time for Messiah to come. In fact, they had been waiting in silence for 400 years to hear from God in any way from a prophet. And so now all these things are coming to fruition. They're, they're the culmination of what's taking place as, as Zechariah has been waiting. When I talk about waiting on God, I'm speaking of the span of time between my longings and God's answer. That's a long time, isn't it? Have you lived in that tension? That's, that's a tough tension to experience. So I ask you a question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for as you wait on God? Are you waiting for an answer to prayer? Are you waiting for the solution to a problem? Are you waiting for the end of suffering? Well, we can learn a lot from God's word here, I think, in looking at the example that Zechariah gives us in his song, in this prophecy, as we understand how to effectively wait. You know, waiting can be a blessing for the child of God who will trust the Lord and not waste the waiting. What to do while you're waiting? Here's the first example that Zechariah gives us. While you're waiting, focus on Jesus. You know, for the most uh, part, if anybody else had a child and you were waiting uh, all this time, your whole life, you're along in years, and God says you're going to have a child, and then you're waiting in silence for nine months, when you finally can speak, you're going to burst into song, and what are you going to sing about? The baby, right? You're going to sing about that child. But that's not what Zechariah is sung about, for the most part. He doesn't even mention John the Baptist until down in verse 76 and 77. His highlight, the focus of his song, is Messiah, is the coming Lord. It is Jesus. Messiah is the headline here. Now, he talks about, even when he talks about John the Baptist coming down in 76, he says, uh, you see, he'll be a prophet of the Most High. So he's saying he's going to prepare a way for the Messiah. He's still talking about Messiah. Down in verse 68, you really see the theme of the entire uh, work that, the, the prophecy that Zechariah made, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He's speaking of what? Messiah. That's how he provided. It's really a narrative about the work of God among his people. And so most of Zechariah's song, do you see, is not taken up with that object that he's waiting for. It's not taken up on now I can speak it's not taken up with here's John the Baptist it's taken up with Jesus when Zechariah focused on Jesus I think he recognized 
He didn't have to have all the answers in his circumstances and even in his waiting. And some light bulb went off while he was in this holding pattern to recognize, you know, the most important thing I can do is not to focus on my circumstances during this time, but to focus on who God is, what he has promised, and the Christ that he sent into our lives. That we focus on Jesus. What you focus on will determine how you wait. I love to watch preschoolers on a playground. You ever watch preschoolers play? After church today, you'll see them all at the playground having a good time. And inevitably, some kiddo's going to fall over or run into another kid, get hurt. And what's the first thing that child's going to do? He's going to look at mama or dad, look at a grown-up, to understand how he's supposed to respond, like right away. And so if the parent runs over, oh no, it's terrible. What happens? The kid just starts screaming, oh, it is. It's awful, right? Because I looked and it must be terrible. But if the, if the mom or dad is like, it's no big deal. Oh, okay, good. Let's go. Let's keep playing. It's amazing how that, that kid will just go, oh yeah, that's right. And just run back into the fray and start playing. It has to do with, with the response of that which the child is focusing on. Same thing. If we're looking at circumstances, we're going to freak out. If we look to God, regardless of circumstances, while we're waiting, everything changes. Here's the deal. If you focus on your problems, you will see God through the lens of your problems. If you focus on God, you will see your problems through the lens of God. See how the Lord reverses that? Listen, it's easy to become laser focused on your crisis, but something happens while you're waiting when you focus on Jesus and you trust him. And the waiting takes on a different tone. You can be blessed even as you're waiting. What to do while you're waiting? First of all, focus on Jesus. Here's the second example that we see from Zechariah. While you're waiting, trust God's working. You need to trust, even when you can't see it, that God is working around you. Verse 69, as he's describing the Lord Jesus coming, the Messiah coming, he describes him with an interesting phrase. He says, the horn of salvation what is the horn of salvation? He's not, he's not talking about a musical instrument here. He's talking about an animal horn. You see, this animal horn is the source of the animal's power and the reason for an animal's victory. And what he is saying here is that Jesus is the source of our victory. The Lord will fight for us. This is a common Old Testament reference to the Lord that they would have understood when they heard this prophecy being spoken. Let me give you a couple of examples. Consider Psalm 92 verses 9 and 10. For indeed, Lord, your enemies, indeed your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with the finest oil. So the incarnation reveals our source of salvation. Our reason for victory is Jesus. We can, re we can rest in the fact that even while we're waiting, that God has done the greatest work. Let me give you another one. Psalm 132 verse 17 says the same. There I will make a horn grow for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one. So God has raised up one who would fight for you. Isn't it good to know that you have a God who will fight for you? You have a God who will fight for your heart. He is fighting for your victory even now. Not only is God fighting for us now, look back at verses 74 and 75. Since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence, how much? All of our days. We have a God who's a rescuer. He's victorious and he is fighting for us even when we don't feel like it. 
Sometimes you say, well, well, if God's all-powerful and I've cried out to him and I've asked something according to the Lord's will, why am I waiting on that to happen? Why doesn't something change? When you want your circumstances to change and you know it's in agreement with God, you know what I've found all through Scripture and in life? Many times that waiting is because before the circumstances change, the Lord wants to change me first. He wants to change my heart, the hearts around me first. And so it's not wasted time. God is doing a work around us. We say, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you change my marriage or you change my spouse. And, and God's saying, no, I want to change your heart. I want to change your heart first. God, my job is a mess. Lord, would you change my job? No, I want to change your heart in your job while you wait on the Lord. Do you see? We, we pray for this. We're waiting on God. But God is not wasting the waiting. God is working in the waiting. Here's the fact of the matter. God is never late. His timing is perfect. His delays are not his denials. God is working. Several years ago, I went with a group to do some missions work in a very remote village in Guatemala, very poor village. We'd been there a few times, and we were, we were involved in several long-term strategies to help uh, bring this uh, village around and also uh, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I met up with a pastor who was uh, serving in this remote village, and through a translator, we were getting to know one another, and he wanted to show me his church. So we went right down these, these uh, dusty roads into the, the part that was basically just a, uh, a tin pavilion, and he had some park benches there, and I couldn't help but notice that he had some lights there and a little sound system. The reason that was kind of unusual is because there wasn't electrical power for miles around. It was really odd to see this electrical wiring anywhere in the village. And so I asked him, why do you have lights and how in the world are you lighting this place? Well, he said, we have to have our services at night because two reasons, most of our people are working throughout the day, seven days a week. But secondly, he said, it's cooler. And so we can come at night and have that. And so he said, we have to have lights. I'm like, well, that's great. But how in the world are you powering them? He said, oh, come. He took me backstage. And what he had back there was this contraption. He'd taken an old bike and turned it upside down, or somebody had, run some wires from the, uh, from, from the wheel onto a car battery, and that car battery had lights that went, or wires that went out to the lights and the sound. And so he said, when we're out sharing the gospel, doing the services, there's somebody back here, usually a team of two, three people, and they lean over that bike, and they just work that pedal as fast as they can. They rotate there, and you talk about a workout of your upper body, you know, the whole time during that service is taking place. And I couldn't help but think that people were attending worship at this little church, and and they were enjoying all the blessings of this light and sound and hearing the truth of the gospel. And they couldn't even see what was taking place. This incredible work that was taking place just behind the curtain the whole time that they were taking in what they could perceive. And that's what we need to understand about God's working. God is working in extraordinary ways in, in places that we cannot see. We have to trust even when we can't see that God is working. Do you see? Uh, in that low light, um, just one side note that I noticed throughout the Christmas account. It's kind of a sermon within a sermon. When you look at Mary's proclamation earlier on in Luke that we looked at last week uh, in, in Luke 1, she speaks of Jesus as a person. You need to understand that this is only days away probably from conception. When Elizabeth is speaking about her child and John the Baptist leaps in her womb just a few verses before this, she's speaking of John the Baptist as a person. Now, this is before birth, obviously. 
we have this whole debate going on in our culture and whether a child is a child until he or she is born. That is not a debate in the scriptures. Do you see here? Now, even more with all the debate over pregnancies and all these things and termination, what about these extemporaneous circumstances? What we forget is the account of the incarnation. You see, not only, not only do we see that God was working when they couldn't see, we, not only do we see that this is a life, but we see how God can redeem really difficult circumstances. That's what he does while he's working. And history is full of accounts of stories of of a life that seemed like it would be cast aside or hopeless. And God redeems that life and turns it around and uses it for his glory and our good. Do you see? When we're waiting on God in any circumstances, we must, first of all, we must recognize that while we're waiting, we need to to, uh, focus on Jesus. And second, while we're waiting, we need to trust God's working. Finally, I want you to see, while you're waiting, oh, this one's going to be hard, okay? So just kind of get loose for a second. You're not going to appreciate it. While we're waiting, we need to be still. Zechariah is most well known for being struck speechless when he didn't have faith there in the temple, remember? What, what many don't realize is I, I really believe not only was he speechless as the Lord disciplined him, but he also lost his hearing for nine months. You see, if you go back to verse 62, it says they communicated to him with gestures instead of speech. So, it, it, so, so he, he could not hear and he could not speak for those nine months. And here's what's beautiful about this passage and the Lord's discipline when he disciplines those whom he loves. Even what we would see as the discipline is a blessing. God doesn't strike him in such a way that it it harms him. God gives him discipline, if you will, but it's discipline instruction of a loving father that is actually an act of great blessing. Because, you know what, Zechariah had been surrounded by all the cultural ethos such that uh, they were awaiting a different kind of Messiah, and they were, so much so that they missed out, they're focused on the political climate of the day and all these things. And so God said, okay, I'm going to discipline you, but I'm also going to bless you. Because for nine months, you're not going to speak and you're not going to hear any of the noise. What do you think someone from the priestly line, when he has nine months of silence, is going to do? Especially after the message he received. He's in the word. He's praying to God. All the distractions are gone, and he's waiting in silence before the Lord. Do you know that God can take your deepest regrets and he can redeem those? I think about Romans 5.20, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And in this case, Zechariah is really given the gift of silence, so he waits on the Lord. Is it any wonder then? When he writes on that tablet, his name is John and his mouth is open, I believe he began to hear at that time as well, that he had a totally different perspective than he did when he started in the waiting. He's looking to Jesus. He's praising God. Why is that? Because Zechariah had removed the distractions of his life. Now, let's be honest. When we're waiting on God, things aren't going how you want them to go. When you're waiting on whatever to happen, 
we don't tend to wait in the quiet. We tend to fill the silence and fill the time with other distractions, in part just because it makes us not think so much about our disappointment or our wonder or our pain. And the opposite needs to be true. We need to be willing to not waste the waiting, but be silent before the Lord. When we wait on God quietly, the Lord moves. We need to get better at waiting quietly. So I want to do an experiment today, okay? Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to invite you to join me in 60 seconds of quiet contemplation right now. That means don't check your phones. Don't whisper to your friend next to you. 60 seconds of being before the Lord in silence. Are you ready? Let's go. That was a minute. How many of you felt like that was 10 minutes? Was it awkward? Was it nice? How many of the parents of preschoolers in the room almost fell asleep? Yeah. It's just so nice to be quiet. But the reality is we're not very good at being still in our culture. God works in the stillness. And when we're waiting, if we'll find the stillness in the quiet, God will speak he will move. In fact, as we close, look back at verse 79. Describe something about the coming Messiah. To shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, waiting on God is not the same thing as being in the darkness, unaware or without any idea of what's happening around us as we wait on God. We can wait on God and we can cling to the light that we have and stand on the truths that we have in God's word. We can know what we know even as we wait on God for that which we don't or we wish would be. You see, God has given us the gift of waiting with him as we wait for him. What a blessing we've been given. What are you waiting for? What is it? that you long for? What is it that somebody you love is waiting for so you're waiting along with them? Are you willing to trust the Lord in the waiting, to focus on Jesus, to trust God's working, to be still? Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've not left us alone. But God, on this side of the cross, we can see the blessing that we've received when Christ came to this earth and paid the penalty for our sins. 
And Heavenly Father, I recognize that there's a chance someone walked in this room today having never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. And I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I ask Heavenly Father that the Holy Spirit would do a work in this time such that they would recognize their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. Remember that Christ came to pay the perfect price so that they could be redeemed with you, forgiven, and walk with you. Heavenly Father, for all of us here, waiting is hard, it's difficult, God. Would you show us how to wait well? In Jesus' name.